When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Lon Seiben and it's time for your weekly wrap-up. Another Monday is here yet again and I want to begin as I always do by thanking our newest Patreon supporters. We have Richard Barubi and Gary Johnson who gave via the tip jar. I want to thank everyone who contributes on an ongoing basis as well as everyone who watches on an ongoing basis too because all of those things equal channel growth. And this week's non-ad on the wrap-up is a reminder that Amazon Prime Day is starting tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern Time if you are watching this on Monday and then it will be going uh, all day on July 11th. You can click that link down below. That's an affiliate link so you can get all the details on all the deals that will be happening throughout the day. Usually you can pick up a pretty good price on something. I got a good deal on a Samsung TV last year, so uh, definitely check it out. If you're not a Prime member, this link will help you become one uh, very quickly so you can take advantage of the deals and you might actually uh, come out ahead of the game too, depending on what you get. So what do we do this week on the channel? Well, on the Extras channel, we took a look at the Mix 320 unboxing. We also uh, tore down the Lenovo 710S that I reviewed this week. And I also gave you an update on my Wolverine Titan photo scanner that I was hoping to review. Uh, the one that came was dead on arrival, so I told you that it came dead on arrival, and hopefully we'll have uh, something up about that later this week. So on the main channel, we reviewed the Lenovo Mix 320, which was a very popular video, uh, primarily because this is a $200 uh, little detachable laptop that uh, was pretty good, actually. Exceeded my expectations for build quality, and if you are looking for something like this, you might find it of interest. So you can check that out down below in the master playlist. We also finally got to our HP page-wide review, and uh, somehow I got to figure out how to get that printer back to them, but uh, it's a new printing technology from HP that rather than having an inkjet head go back and forth over the paper, it sprays ink onto the paper as the paper is going through. And I showed you how it works and gave you my impressions on that in that review, so you can check that out in the master playlist. I also did a behind-the-scenes production video that I do from time to time. We looked at remote proxy editing, with Final Cut Pro X. This is how I'm able to have people work on my videos remotely without transmitting 20 gigabytes versus, worth of raw footage. It really uh, adds up here, especially on the wrap-up video. So I showed you how I took about 16 gigs of last week's wrap-up, compressed it down to four, and had somebody else edit that footage and then shoot me back just a very small file to complete the edit. Final Cut Pro's got some really cool stuff to make all of that work, and I showed you how it worked in that video. And we also took a look at the IdeaPad 710S Plus from Lenovo. We had two reviews this week because I wasn't expecting the other machine to arrive as quickly as it did. And this is a uh, mid-range laptop, kind of a refresh of last year's model, but a bunch of you found that one of interest as well. And now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind. This is week 18 of me doing this full time, and I've got another a little bit of traveling to do this week. I'm going to go to CE Week New York. Uh, which is another one of these events where a bunch of consumer electronics companies gather and they let the press in to talk to all of them. 
Uh, what's interesting about CE Week is that these are smaller companies, kind of the startups that uh, have some interesting stuff sometimes. So I'll be on the lookout for new and unique gadgets at that event, and that will be taking place uh, on Wednesday. So I will be back with you maybe Thursday with a recap of what went on there. If nothing really interesting sparked my interest, I will probably just work it into next week's wrap-up, but I'll probably do a little video of what I found at that event, so be on the lookout for that. And in the news this week, you're likely going to be hearing a lot about net neutrality. A group called Fight for the Future is having a day of action on Wednesday where they're hoping to get as many U.S. citizens as possible to fill out this form and send a letter to their members of Congress as well as the Federal Communications Commission because the FCC is about to reverse its order uh, that it made in 2015 to regulate ISPs like public utilities. And they uh, put that order in place under the Obama administration to enforce net neutrality. In other words, words, preventing a company like Comcast from treating this YouTube video uh, differently than it might a video from one of their own properties. And right now they can't do it, but if you take this uh, regulatory framework away, they might be able to in the future. Now, Fight for the Future has a bunch of websites signed on to this effort to promote this petition. You'll see a few of them up here, including Pornhub, but uh, also Amazon and Netflix signed on. I did not see Google and Facebook on this list, and I did a little more research, and it turns out they are some supporting the effort. Uh, there was an article in Forbes that uh, Google and Facebook have signed on to the campaign, but they haven't indicated what they plan to do to promote it. And Google and Facebook, given the size of those two companies and the influence that they now have with members of Congress, are, I think, taking a very different approach, which is to lobby behind the scenes and uh, work this out in a way that uh, might give them a better uh, piece of leverage, perhaps, when this does actually get to Congress, because I think that's where this is going to go. The FCC is going to reverse this decision. There's no question about that, uh, forcing the issue back over to Congress. And the reason why it went to the FCC in the first place was that Congress wasn't doing anything for so long on this particular issue. And I think that's where Google and Facebook will be uh, putting up their fight behind the scenes with all of their expensive lobbyists. And back when I was covering the SOPA and PIPA debate, which was when the music and movie industries tried to change the architecture of the Internet uh, to prevent copyright infringement, uh, Google really wasn't out there in front of members of Congress the way the movie and music industry were with their lobbyists. And I think Google learned its lesson, a very hard lesson there, that they came very close to losing a lot of ground and potentially creating a lot of regulation around the Internet uh, by not having a seat at that table. So now they've invested very heavily in lobbying, and I think that we're going to see less of uh, Google and Facebook making these public stances over these kinds of fights, especially when it comes to net neutrality. Now, for its part, we should definitely cover all sides of this issue here. Uh, Comcast says they do support a fair and open internet, but they want congressional action on it, uh, not the FCC. They don't want to be regulated like a utility, even though they have a monopoly over many parts of the country, this uh, very town where I live in included, but uh, they want to see some congressional action that does provide some protection, but uh, not in the way that is currently being uh, brought about with uh, the FCC stepping in. And one of the issues we're running into now is that the status quo has been the status quo for so long uh, that it's going to be very difficult to make this change happen, I think. And I think Congress is very reluctant now to step into the middle of it. This is a multi-billion dollar industry now. Uh, and if you look at something like the uh, Digital Millennium Copyright Act, they made a lot of important changes to the copyright law here in the United States before all of the stuff like YouTube and uh, the web really came into being. It was very much in its infancy. We're now going to be making adjustments to a pretty mature industry right now here in the U.S. 
And uh, Comcast says they support a fair and open internet, but I don't know if that really fits within their uh, corporate uh, culture here. But uh, they have said in their blog here, to be clear, and this is the, the guy from Comcast writing, uh, Comcast supports strong, legally enforceable net neutrality protections that ensure a free and open internet for all of our customers. We do not and will not block, slow down, or discriminate against lawful content. However, it doesn't say they will not allow some content to go faster. It also doesn't say that they uh, might at some point in the future decide that maybe YouTube will count against your monthly uh, data cap, but Comcast content won't. And I think any opportunity that Comcast and other cable providers have to create some kind of artificial scarcity in their bandwidth, they're going to do it. And uh, consumers will uh, ultimately go to the content that doesn't cost them any money, uh, whereas watching a YouTube channel might. And that's my big concern, but uh, we'll see how this plays out. And I think ultimately Congress will finally have to deal with this issue, which is what I hope they will do. Now, uh, there are a number of ISPs that are supporting uh, getting this Title II regulation lifted because it does uh, potentially put a burden on a smaller company having to act like a utility. Uh, but there are other small ISPs, according to this Ars Technica article, that are in favor of keeping it in place uh, for this reason, which is not about net neutrality, but it's about access to utility poles. Uh, in this article, Google even noted they had trouble getting access to utility poles for their fiber project because uh, these monopolies control the poles, and although they uh, have to allow certain competitors on the poles with them, they kind of drag their feet to get uh, those competitors' wires up uh, to compete with them, and this was an issue that came up before this regulatory effort happened. So this congressional bill might actually have a lot more to it uh, than just net neutrality, because if the FCC and uh, members of Congress really want competition, they have to really make it happen at this point, or at least uh, knock down some of the barriers that are in place. And uh, many companies, even though they're against regulation, often become for it when it might benefit their business. We saw that with SOPA and PIPA with the record industry, and I'm sure Comcast and others will continue to work to block competitive from uh, setting up shop in the areas that they currently have a monopoly over. And I wanted to give you some experiences I had as a local Comcast regulator that uh, gave me a lot of insight as to how uh, powerful these companies can be sometimes in uh, getting things changed legislatively. So way back in the early 2000s, I served on a local cable television advisory council here in Connecticut. These were created by the state legislature to allow uh, local citizens to be a part of regulating the local cable television monopoly. And what we were there to do is really interface with the company, uh, make sure that customer complaints were being resolved in a a uh, satisfactory manner for the customers and uh, report anything that we saw out of the ordinary to the Department of Public Utility Control to make sure that uh, the companies were abiding by their franchise agreements. And basically what would happen would be probably every 10 or 13 years or so, uh, the cable company would have to go in for a review to make sure that they were providing a level of service to the community that uh, met the standards that uh, everyone expected them to meet. And it was a uh, very good system because it did require the company to actually do things for customers or risk losing their opportunity to have their local monopoly. And one of the requirements that Comcast had was to have a cable television access station, uh, which I had a show on back in 1989 or so. And uh, yeah, I did that in 89, 90 or so. And then I went off to high school to graduate and went to college and graduated. I came back in uh, 98, 99. I wanted to start up some new show. And I walked into the studio there and all of the equipment was exactly the same as it was back in 1989. Uh, yet at home, I had a DV camcorder and I was editing uh, non-linear 
Premiere on my uh, PC with Premiere and everything. None of that equipment was at the cable station. They were basically back in the 80s still with nothing ever uh, invested into it. And I joined the council and started looking into this a little more. And I saw that the law required that Comcast uh, have certain standards for the station that they had to meet. One was enough square footage, which they were lacking. They also uh, lacked the ability to shoot a uh, broadcast live to tape, for example, and also have somebody editing at the same time. They just didn't have enough rooms to accommodate uh, those two functions nor the equipment. So uh, I got on the council and we called Comcast on it and said, hey, you're not meeting the letter of the law here with your cable access station and you really should be uh, getting there because your franchise renewal is up in a couple of years. And uh, sure enough, without having to have any DPUC regulatory action, Comcast acted and changed everything and renovated the studio, bought new equipment. It was great to see them act so quickly, partly because they were fearful of losing their uh, very lucrative franchise agreement to continue that local monopoly. And wouldn't you know, uh, right after the end of the legislative session, after all this stuff got resolved, uh, the law changed and their lobbyists went out and uh, were able to convince members of the legislature to uh, modernize the law and take out some of these things that uh, really spelled out very clearly what they were supposed to do to meet their local cable television station requirements, which really uh, was surprising to me that they could operate so efficiently and so quietly. There was never a news article about this. It just happened. And uh, one day the law was this, the next day the law was that. And all of those requirements that we called them on were gone. Pretty crazy stuff. And we also had another issue related to that cable access station, which was that Comcast was not supplying enough funds to that station to keep it up and running. They were required to invest a certain amount of money in uh, upkeep for the station. I think it was at the time $137,000 a year. And they were spending about 20 or taking $23,000 out of that requirement to account for accounting fees. And they found every possible thing they could uh, to deduct from that overall contribution. They were even uh, putting in the depreciation losses on a pair of headphones into that, into that total. They really worked very hard to do that. Uh, we went after them on that and filed a complaint with the Department of Public Utility Control, and we won. In fact, the DPUC found that uh, Comcast failed to sustain their commitment to the community, and they were required to uh, put more money into it. But they were very good. It was us versus their law firm, their accountants, and uh, they had a lot of documentation. There was pages upon pages of stuff that they submitted to try to defend themselves in this case. But uh, ultimately, the uh, little guys and gals here won. But that is very rare that that kind of thing occurs. And on this net neutrality argument, a couple of years ago, I interviewed somebody who's an activist in this area who said it's just so difficult to even make a dent in uh, your side of the argument, especially on something like net neutrality, because they have so many resources that they can pour in. Uh, they could probably have somebody meeting with uh, multiple members of Congress at the same time, whereas these little groups that are trying to fight for consumers uh, are lucky to have even one or two people that can take that time. So it's a very David and Goliath battle here. And uh, these corporations, especially these monopolistic entities, will fight very hard to maintain those monopolies. It's their uh, fiduciary duty as a public corporation to do so. And uh, we as consumers have to find ways to fight that. And I think your members of Congress do need to hear from you on your thoughts about this. I think the FCC portion of this regulation at the moment is dead. They're going to uh, remove that Title II, but the real fight here is Congress, and I'm hoping that we can get something decent here that uh, protects content creators like me and perhaps you, uh, but also uh, gives us the ability to have some competition as well. So let's see what happens here. It's going to be a long battle. I don't think anything's going to change overnight, but uh, we'll be hearing a lot more about net neutrality in the months and years to come.
Now we'll do some lighter topics today in our Q&A section. And our first question here comes in from Angel A.R. Uh, responding to the recent review that I did of the $200 Lenovo detachable tablet, who says, isn't it odd how Microsoft sells a $1,000 laptop with Windows 10 S, uh, yet many of these laptops that are $200 or less run full Windows 10? And absolutely, there will be, uh, when we get into the back-to-school season, I expect within the next month or so, a whole slew of new laptops coming out that will be running Windows 10 S that will still be around the $200 price tag. I am guessing here that Microsoft is going to be providing uh, Windows 10 S at a significant discount over a regular version of Windows 10, uh, which will be enticing to these manufacturers who might be able to get a little more margin out of these cheap PCs. I don't know what they're charging them right now for uh, Windows 10 Home, which usually shows up on a $200 PC, but I am sure there is some financial incentive here for them uh, to pay less for that license. And I think, unfortunately, that's where it's going to go. It's a win-win for them, at least, because uh, the manufacturer manufacturer can make a little more margin with a lower cost software license and Microsoft has the opportunity to make a little more after the first of the year when they're going to charge 50 bucks to uh, unlock the regular Windows version. I would be okay with Windows 10 S if it was provided to everyone for free because as you know I test a lot of PCs here on the channel. It would be nice to have a legal copy of Windows that I can install on something that I'm testing especially if I just need to install things from the Windows 10 store as opposed to having to get a license every time I need to do something. So we'll see where it goes. I would love Windows 10 S, though, to be uh, that option, that I could have something free that I can use and then upgrade for 50 bucks to something more useful if I uh, need to do that down the road. But who knows if that'll happen. But be on the lookout. Uh, that will be on your $200 computer coming up later this month, I think. And Stacy Luster writes in with a question about why so many manufacturers are moving in the direction of soldering on RAM and storage and such in their laptops. And I think the reason really comes down to cost. If you have a memory module, you probably have to have somebody insert that module into the motherboard before you put the whole thing together. Uh, you can automate that process if you solder those chips onto the board. And I think that's probably uh, the primary driving factor here as to why we're seeing less upgradable laptops these days because there's less labor involved in uh, having a laptop that doesn't require somebody having to stick chips into it uh, to finish off the process of building it. But also because consumers want thin and light and uh, the thinner you can make something, the more attractive it's going to be to consumers. And uh, that's also a driving factor here. And it works out very well for manufacturers because, first of all, it drives down their costs. They have less labor costs in building the computer to begin with. But it also means that when uh, we get out about two or three years and that four gigs of RAM isn't cutting it anymore, you got to buy a new computer uh, versus just being able to upgrade it. And I think that is where uh, we're going to see the industry headed here. They need to keep moving PC units, and that's a great way to do it. And one of my favorite vegetables, Broccoli, wrote in uh, talking about a lot of the low-end hardware that we review here on the channel. And uh, one of the reasons why Broccoli loves this channel is because I cover so much of it, and I'm always on the lookout for cheap stuff. I was very excited to get that Lenovo mix in because uh, $200 PCs really made this channel, and I'm always eager to find things that uh, don't cost a lot of money but can be very useful. And that is why I'm going to turn this question back to all of you for our Q&A for you this week. I need more ideas for products to review in that price category. It can be a computer. It can be anything consumer electronics related because I'm always on the lookout for inexpensive stuff. So uh, definitely let me know. Uh, take a look at GearBest's website also because we can get stuff in from them. So if you are finding things that are intriguing to you that don't cost a lot of money, uh, do let me know down in the comments section and I'll try to get more of that stuff in because I am always looking for that stuff. And right now I'm not finding much. I get a whole bunch of it in all 
at once right when it all comes out and we'll be seeing that with back to school season I'm hoping uh, very soon but I need more so please 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 uh, comment down below on some of the inexpensive gear that you're finding along with some links as to where I can find it so that is a request for all of you and speaking of personal computers, our channel of the week this week is The Computer Chronicles. This was a show that I used to watch as a kid growing up in the 80s and 90s about the personal computing industry. It started in 83 and it ran all the way to 2002. And what they've done with all the content was released it into the Creative Commons. So there's a huge archive at archive.org. And there's also this YouTube channel, which has a lot of the content, although I don't think they have all of it, but a lot of the good stuff uh, is probably in this uh, YouTube channel here. And they've got it organized out by year, so you can see what was hot in each particular year. They covered personal computers, a lot of consumer electronics. They also uh, did a few episodes with video game systems, so you can see uh, what Sega was talking about when they first released the Sega Genesis, for example. A lot of cool stuff if you're into the history of this industry, as I am. Uh, really fun to watch all of this. And this was a show that I would catch from time to time uh, as a kid, and it's really cool to see it all archived and preserved on here. Stuart Sherfe was the host of that show for uh, its entire run. So really good stuff and uh, worth a look. So what's going to happen this week on the modern era here on this channel? Well, I've got uh, a replacement Wolverine photo scanner in. I'm hoping to shoot that today, and that review will be up soon. I've got a review of an Acer monitor as well as a uh, Canon camcorder on the way as well. This is the HF R82. It's a about a $300 or $400 handheld camcorder. Uh, not the best uh, video quality in the world, but a really nice point-and-shoot kind of device. And there's a few different versions of this that all have pretty much the same hardware on there. So you can get a lot of what this $400 camera will have for $250. And I'll talk about all of that uh, during that review, so stay tuned for that. And if I have time, depending on how busy my trip is, I'm going to start my work on my transition on my home DVR. Uh, my decision has been made. What I'm going to be doing is attempting to run everything off of a MyCloud PR2100, which is a network-attached storage device that I reviewed a few months ago. Uh, that was able to uh, handle Plex hardware transcoding. I'm going to see if I can run uh, DVR functions and the Plex server on that device. And specifically, what I'm going to be doing is uh, using the HD Home Run DVR as my main DVR software package. And in full disclosure, they are a sponsor here on the channel. Uh, but I'm also going to be using Plex's DVR as a live TV watching uh, option, as well as a way of remotely watching the shows that I record using uh, that HD Home Run DVR. There's a whole bunch of reasons why I'm going to be going with both packages, but I think it will make sense when I get to it. So I'm trying to figure out how to best handle this video. I think I might do a series of videos on it, uh, one just covering this implementation of it, uh, another one maybe covering how the uh, new HD Home Run DVR works. There's been some changes to it since I last uh, took a deep dive into it, and then maybe a really long video explaining the whole process of cord cutting, which may not be of interest to subscribers, but I think it might help answer some questions out there. I get a lot of the same questions in all the time on my uh, HD Home Run video that I did like four or five years ago now. That one's still one of my top videos on the channel, so I want to just do a presentation that just kind of explains everything you need to think about for cord cutting. Uh, and I think it will be kind of interesting. So that's coming soon. I've got to get the list of shows from my wife that she needs recorded. And after that's done, I'm going to begin that process. And it might be a fun 
uh, little exercise here and I'll figure out the best way to present all of that content to you. So stay tuned for that. It'll be an interesting one, I am sure. Now, if you want to help the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv slash Patreon and make a monthly contribution to the channel. We also have the tip jar set up at lon.tv slash tip jar for a one-time contribution. We also have Venmo set up so you can do a uh, transaction from overseas, for example, by sending something to lon at lon.tv. And we have our ongoing relationship with Plex with their affiliate program. So if you go to lon.tv slash Plex and sign up for a free account, uh, you will uh, help the channel out with a small commission without having to pay anything. And you can also gift a Plex Pass subscription to a friend or family member, and we'll get a commission of that as well. I've got lots of channels now. We've got the Extras channel at lon.tv slash Extras for supplementary content. The podcast feed where you can find uh, this show and many interviews that I do in audio form at lon.tv slash podcast. And I should show up on most of your uh, popular podcasting applications. And we have the Snippets channel set up at lon.tv slash Snippets where I have have uh, smaller portions of these longer videos posted for a uh, better search optimization. So I'll pull out a few segments from this thing and a few reviews that I do, a nice little reference point. So if you don't mind subscribing over there and helping me build up its initial uh, traffic, that would be great. Uh, lon.tv slash snippets. And then my live streams are ar- archived at lon.tv slash live streams. And I might do another one of those soon, depending on how well my DVR project goes. Maybe I'll invite you in to watch me uh, try to get it all working. And I do encourage you to click that bell to be notified whenever new videos pop up here on the channel. It helps uh, keep you connected with all the stuff that I'm doing in case the YouTube algorithm doesn't like showing you my stuff anymore. If you want to engage with the channel, you can go to lon.tv slash email for my monthly email, which is way behind. I need to get one of those out. Uh, my Facebook page is at lon.tv slash Facebook, and the store where you can buy some of the things that I review here on the channel is at lon.tv slash store. And if you want to get an alert every time I update that store, you can sign up for an email alert right there. And that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. I want to thank everyone for your ongoing support and suggestions and questions and all the other good stuff that you're doing here to help this channel continue its growth. And I really do appreciate everything you do for me and the channel here. And let's keep going. We're going to have another great week, hopefully, here on the channel with some traveling uh, to New York City involved as well. So thank you all again. This is Lon Sybin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by my Patreon supporters, including Gold Level supporter Cody Falk. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash Patreon to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.